Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And today's episode is all about the 4% rule and specifically how you can apply the 4% rule or even do something better than the 4% rule when it comes to your portfolio. Now, there's two listener questions that both hit upon a slightly different aspect of this question, but they're ultimately asking the same thing. So the first question is this. This comes from Richard. Richard says, is the 4% rule based on an initial retirement portfolio value when one begins retirement, and then that dollar amount is set and adjusted for inflation in subsequent years, or is the 4% based upon the portfolio value each year? Example, is it based upon the value of the end of that year, so on and so forth? If the 4% was based upon the value of the portfolio as it changes each year, would that lead to a better chance of not outliving one's money? So that is the first question that comes from Richard. And so just an example to illustrate what Richard's asking is he's saying this. He's saying, look, let's assume I have a million dollars year one of retirement. Well, pretty straightforward what the 4% rule calls for year one. You take 4% of a million or $40,000, and that's pretty simple, your first year. But then what do you do the second year? Do you increase that $40,000 by inflation? Or do you take a look at the portfolio value at the beginning of year two of retirement and take 4% of that? So for example, if the portfolio increased from 1 million to 1.1 million after year one, then would you take 4% of that, which would be $44,000, instead of simply taking your initial $40,000 portfolio withdrawal and increasing that with inflation? So that's question number one. And then the second question, which also ties into this, It comes from Brian, and Brian says this. He says, thank you for doing your show. Really enjoy your format and getting to the point quickly with great information. When it comes to the 4% withdrawal rule of thumb and being close to retirement, let's say my portfolio was $2 million in December and now it's $1.5 million when I retire. Should I go off of the $1.5 million number or the $2 million number for the first year retirement withdrawal strategy? Thank you. That is from Brian. So another aspect of the 4% rule. So in this episode, what I want to do is I want to answer each of these questions directly, but then also explore this rule because as it seems on the surface, simple enough, take 4% of your portfolio, there's loads of different questions and details to go along with that. So how do you best incorporate those rules? How do you best utilize the 4% rule? And are there things that you can do to enhance it? So both these questions, they're really two sides of the same question. And that question is, off what value is the 4% withdrawal rate derived from? So let's take a big step back. The 4% rule, as established by Bill Bangan, it looked at different withdrawal rates to see how long each could last before fully draining a portfolio. Now, when he ran this research and when he wrote his paper, published his paper, he had to take a portfolio value and then assume a withdrawal rate. And as he was doing that, he assumed a withdrawal rate on January 1st of every year. So to answer Brian's question, when Brian's asking, he's saying, look, my portfolio used to be $2 million. Then, of course, there's a market downturn. Now my portfolio is $1.5 million. Is it safe to base the 4% rule on the $2 million or should I be basing it on the $1.5 million mark? Well, in Bill Bangan's research, he was just literally taking a snapshot on January 1st of each year and running a withdrawal rate based upon that number. So as we look at that, that number is not necessarily 
realistic in real life. We don't all retire on January 1st of the year and then take a withdrawal rate based upon that. So to answer the question directly, the 4% rule was based upon the starting value of the portfolio, which just happened to be January 1st of every single year in Bill Bingen's research. There's some things that maybe don't perfectly align with reality in that, not a knock on the paper at all, just it's impossible to encapsulate everything that needs to be taken into account in a withdrawal rate in a fairly brief paper. But to answer Brian's question directly, it would be 4% of the value of the portfolio on the date that you retired. So whether that portfolio value was higher or lower in the past, the research was simply looking at it at a snapshot in time. We're going to address this in a bit later than this episode to see how can you normalize that a little bit, but that's how the research was done. The second side of this and the initial question was, what's the 4% rule based on? Is it 4% of the value every single year? So say the portfolio increases in value 20% in a year, does that mean next year's withdrawal is 20% higher? Or if the portfolio declines by 20% in a year, does that mean next year's withdrawal is 20% lower? The answer is no. So this is back to Richard's question. The 4% rule, it was 4% of the initial starting portfolio value. And then you take that number and index it for inflation. So if the market's up or if your portfolio is up 20% or down 20%, the research was looking at you taking that initial withdrawal and increasing that by inflation every single year. So you're not having the higher swings, both to the upside and downside, of having that 4% pegged to your portfolio value every single year. Richard goes on to ask in that same question, he says, if the 4% was based upon the value of the portfolio as it changes each year, would that lead to a better chance of not outliving one's money? And I haven't done research on this. I don't know that I've read research directly pertaining to this, but just some basic logic would tell me yes. If you're always limiting your withdrawal to a percentage of the current value, it's literally impossible to run out of money because you're only taking 4% of a given balance each year and say that million dollars turns to $20,000, for example. Use an extreme scenario just to illustrate this. You have a million dollars, you're one of retirement. For some reason, it declines to $20,000. Well, you're now just taking 4% of that amount. So 4% of $20,000 is $800 that year. So say that declines to $10,000 or say it declines to $1,000. Well, if it declines to $1,000, you're only taking $40 of income that year. I know this is an absurdly ridiculous example here, but what it's going to show is you literally could not withdraw down your whole portfolio balance if you're only taking a certain percentage each year. The challenge with that is it's going to be very, very difficult to live on $40 a year or $800 a year or whatever it is. So this research, it was looking at how do you solve for how much income is needed to live on? What's the highest withdrawal rate you can take and then index that number for inflation regardless of what the market's going to do, whether it's good or bad or anywhere in between, knowing that that's a withdrawal rate that's going to, at least reasonably speaking and looking at history as our guide, not going to result in you outliving your money. So with those two questions out of the way, I did also want to focus on or address a few other topics because sometimes there's this sense of, okay, there's this 4% rule. So whatever my portfolio value is, however it's allocated, whenever I start withdrawing, whenever I retire, I can just take 4% and call it good. That's not necessarily the case. If you look at the research, it is based upon investing a specific way. It's based upon understanding how long those withdrawals will last. 
So someone who, for example, has all their money in super short-term bond funds and they're retiring at age 40, well, this 4% rule, it's probably not super relevant. Number one, this research was based upon having an allocation of 50% in large cap stocks and 50% in intermediate term treasuries. So if your allocation is way off the mark, then this research probably doesn't pertain to your particular portfolio. And number two, it was looking at how long will this money last? And it was looking to see, can this money last for at least 30 years, ideally, which if you're going to retire, say at 60 to 65 or so, 30 years is probably a good time horizon to look at. Well, if you're going to retire very early, say at age 40, 30 years probably isn't going to cut it. Unless you're not planning on living past 70, you just wouldn't have, or you'd have too long of a time horizon for these withdrawal rates to really be pertinent to your specific situation. Here's some other things to note about the paper. Some really interesting stuff that's really not talked about a whole lot is number one, 4% isn't the only withdrawal rate that Bill Bingen looked at. He really started with 3% when you look at this. And at 3%, what he saw was there was really no time periods where this money would not have lasted for, I think it was 50 plus years or so. So he said, okay, 3% is probably too low of a withdrawal rate because there's such a high probability of success for every single period that he's looking at that why would you limit it to just three? Then he looked at a 4% per year withdrawal rate. And what he saw was, okay, at 4%, and really it's a little bit higher than 4%. I think it's technically 4.1%, 4.2%, somewhere in that range. I forget exactly. But what he saw is he said, okay, at these numbers, there's not been a time period where this money wouldn't last 30 years or so. So that's kind of where he stopped at that withdrawal rate. And then he looked at 5% and he looked at 6%. And what he saw with 6% was it worked in many years. But there are many other years, there are many more years of that the portfolio assets only lasting for 15 to 20 years. So as we're looking at this, it's not like 4% is the magical number where that's all you can ever withdraw from your portfolio, regardless of the market circumstances that you're retiring into. It was just his research showing that regardless of when you're retiring, whether the market did really well going forward or really poorly going forward, that 4% was kind of that magical number where if you limited withdrawals to that amount or less, you're probably going to be just fine for at least 30 years into retirement. That's not to say that 4% is the most you can possibly take out. There was many instances in which a 5% or 6% or even higher withdrawal rate lasted for 30 plus years. You just don't know when you're retiring into that circumstance. Are you going to get the favorable market conditions that lead to the ability to take out more than 4%, maybe 5, 6, 7 and above even? Or are you going to get suboptimal market returns? So that's just something important to note. It's why I prefer more of a guardrails type strategy that says start by taking more out of your portfolio, but understand that there's no guarantee that that will last. If the markets drop, if things happen, do you temporarily cut back on how much you're spending? But if the markets are doing really well, do you increase how much you're spending? And really something that's monitoring this over your retirement time horizon tends to be much more effective than saying, can you start with a simple withdrawal rate of call it 4% or so, and then just index it with inflation without any regard for how your portfolio is doing or inflation or anything else. Number two, another thing to note on this is the allocation that the 4% withdrawal rates was based upon was 50% large cap stocks and 50% intermediate term treasuries. And an intermediate term treasury is just a government bond that matures in between five to 10 years. To my point earlier, though, if your portfolio looks way different than that, then using this research as a basis for how much you're taking out of your own portfolio 
maybe isn't the best place to start. Now, in my opinion, you can certainly have a worse allocation. Obviously, a lot of this is relative, but say you're all cash, to use a super conservative example. To take 4% out and increase that with inflation would almost certainly, well, by definition, it would certainly draw down your portfolio before 30 years. So if you have a way different allocation, there's potential that your portfolio wouldn't support anywhere near a 4% withdrawal rate. And if you have a quote unquote better, again, this is relative, this isn't unique to any particular person, but if you have a more diversified allocation, you may be even able to take out more money than he looked at with his initial withdrawal rule. When Bill Bangu went back to this research and when he added an allocation to small cap investments or investments into smaller companies, what he saw was that increased the potential withdrawal rate from around 4% to up to about 4.5% per year. So simply by tweaking the allocation, by increasing the diversification to another asset class that tends to do well over time, he was able to increase that from 4% to about 4.5%. So really the 4% rule as we talk about it today should really be more like the 4.5% rule, assuming you're getting that extra level of diversification there. Again, a reason I like the guardrails approach is because it's not even limiting your allocation to just this. At this point, even after having small caps added, Bill Bangin's research was based upon intermediate-term treasuries, large U.S. stocks, and small U.S. stocks. Well, if you take that diversification further, include some international or emerging markets or real estate, what that helps you to do is whereas Bill Bangin's research was simply looking at the total return of the portfolio. So you put some fixed income in, you put some large companies, you put some small companies. He just looked at the total return of that portfolio itself and then saw how much could you withdraw from that total return. Whereas the guardrails approach, it says let's diversify further, let's have more buckets of money, and let's just not draw from the portfolio as a whole when it comes time to take income, but let's have rules for where we take income from first. If we have the portion of our stock investments that have outperformed, let's draw from there first. If that's not the case, and we have a portion of our bond investments that have outperformed, let's take from there. If that's not the case, let's take from excess cash. So there's an order of operations in which you go through. And what that does is it's not just looking at what's the total return of your portfolio in any given year. It's looking at what are the returns of the individual components. And then let's be smart about taking our income for that year from the right component. So as we look at this, this 4% rule, people think of it almost as this magical rule where you can be invested however you want, and that's the withdrawal you can take from your portfolio. That's not the case. It was based upon a certain allocation, and in my opinion, if you even improve that allocation, you can look to take out more than he initially looked at in his withdrawal rule paper. Another thing to note about the 4% rule, and this is another reason where guardrails can be used to do better than simply the 4% withdrawal rate is that there's never any increase in spending when things go well, according to the 4% rule. So for example, someone who retired in 1975, based upon how the market would have performed over the following 30 years, they could have taken closer to 7.5% out of their portfolio and still had that portfolio last for 30 years. Now in 1975, they had no idea how the market was going to perform over the next 30 years. So they maybe would have started at a 4%, 4.5% range But without guardrails, without an understanding of when you are able to increase your spending, what happens is people end up selling themselves short. And the risk here is that if you compare a 4% initial withdrawal rate to the 7.5% withdrawal rate that you could have taken knowing how the market would have performed over that time, what you're essentially doing is taking 
uh, just over half of what your portfolio otherwise could have supported. In other words, if you have a million dollars in your portfolio and you go into retirement, it's taking $40,000 per year of income when you could have been taking $75,000 per year of income and still been just fine. So you see what the implications there are. Sure, if you want to take 4%, you're going to be okay, but you have to understand the trade-offs and you have to understand the risk. And the risk in this sense is really the opportunity cost of what were you leaving on the table by not spending that extra amount. Sure, that money went with you and maybe it passed on to future generations, but if you wanted to do more and travel more and give more and experience more, well, you left that on the table if you followed a simple withdrawal rate rule where you started year one at some fixed dollar amount and then just increased that over time. And then the other thing too is this also works in reverse. With the guardrails approach, there are times when you will need to either cut your spending or at least freeze your spending, meaning not take an inflation adjustment. The 4% rule doesn't take this into account. Again, it's a simple starting value of your withdrawal rate based upon a percentage of your portfolio, and then you just increase that with inflation regardless of what's happening in the market. So in a sense, you have the luxury of not having to make any freezes to your spending, but in doing so, it's also limiting your ability to increase your spending and enhance your spending when things are going well. So these are just some important things to note about this. As you look at this, this is an imperfect science. When people are trying to understand how much money can I take out of my portfolio and still be okay, there's just really no perfect answer. There's really helpful information. There's really helpful starting points and guardrails and things like that. But keep in mind, retirement is a fairly new concept. A couple hundred years ago, even a hundred years ago, people weren't really talking about retirement. You were born, you worked, and you died. Well, retirement is kind of a modern luxury. And not just that, not only is retirement new, but the idea of you being responsible for your retirement is even more new than that. Because if you go back a few decades, pensions were a much bigger thing. So even when you did retire, there was a pension company that was responsible for sending you a monthly paycheck, and then you just lived on that. Well, now you have the combination of a new concept like retirement with this understanding and this new science of how do we optimize our withdrawals from our portfolio to support that retirement. So understand that as we're looking at this and as we're exploring the 4% rule and as we're exploring guardrails, none of this is the perfect thing for each individual person. Use this to get an understanding of what the research says. Use this to get an understanding of different outcomes based upon different market experiences But at the end of the day, having something customized to you and having something that you continuously monitor is really important to make sure that you have the best possible experience through what you are doing. But I hope that was helpful. This is about taking that 4% rule, understanding what it's based upon, understanding some of the limitations, and really most importantly, understanding how you can apply it to your particular situation because it is a really foundational piece of that knowledge we do have about retirement and retirement withdrawal rates. So that is it for today. Thank you very much for these questions. Thank you to all of you who are listening. I appreciate it very much. Make sure to share this episode with a friend. Make sure to share this episode with a family member, a coworker, or someone who you think can benefit from this information. Really want to make sure as many people are able to download it as possible to ensure they're getting the information they need to create a secure retirement. So thank you for listening, and I'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. 
Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.